Thanks for listening to the Grace First podcast. If you want to know more about us, head on over to gracefirst.church. Or if you're in the Wichita area, come visit us Sundays at 1015. Guess who forgot to uh, read the scripture earlier? (laughs) It's usually me if somebody forgot, just putting that out there. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, today I'm going to be preaching from Proverbs. And to give you a little context, usually when we preach here, we like to go verse by verse, one thing at a time. And that, that's usually appropriate. Um, you always want to know the context of the original audience, the original author, the original language, the original culture, and you need to know the story all together. However, the Proverbs are not completely written that way. The Proverbs are, is a collection of wise sayings and good advice that God has left for us from people long ago, and they're not necessarily arranged in a way we would arrange them, right? We would want them by like a topic, right? And they're not, they're not arranged the way we would think they should be arranged. And so today, I've collected all the Proverbs, not all of them, but a lot of them, that, where it talks about friendship, so... Just keep that in mind. So this year, the Surgeon General of the U.S. declared a public health crisis. Has nothing to do with COVID, I promise. One that puts you at more risk of disease and death than 15 cigarettes a day, six drinks of alcohol a day. It increases the risk of diabetes, hypertension, infectious diseases, depression, arthritis, and anxiety. And that is loneliness. One 2010 study said that social isolation is arguably the strongest and most reliable predictor of suicidal ideation attempts and lethal suicidal behavior, regardless of age, nationality, and the severity of their depression. There are many reasons for this, and we always like to blame the newest thing. We're like, ah, it's social media, but I think we know better than that. Social media just exacerbated all of our problems and made them more front and center. It did not cause this problem. As a matter of fact, uh, one researcher who studied it since the 80s said this has been a steady increase since long before social media was a thing. As a matter of fact, uh, the survey on American life says in 1990 that 3% of Americans had zero close friends. You know, the kind of friend you can be completely emotionally honest with, the person you go to when the chips are down. And in 2021, that had raised to 12. That's a four times increase. I think one of the reasons for this, and there's always many, is that we as a culture give friendship a small status. However, when we look at the Bible, it gives friendship a supreme status. Next, we see that we are friends with a good God. And that friendship in the Bible has unparalleled uniqueness and that it gives us a directional determination. So, a bunch of alliterations. I tried real hard, y'all. That first, we give friendship a small status, but the Bible gives friendship a supreme status. Next, we are friends with a good God, and that friendship has unparalleled uniqueness, and that it gives us a directional determination. Let me ask you something, and I want you to raise your hands. How many of you have ever heard a single friendship sermon that you can remember? 
Just one. I count maybe three hands. Yikes. I was hoping there'd be more. For me, I can remember one. Mostly because the sermon took the passage out of context and Krista and I were there and we were fuming. We're like, this passage is not about friendship. Not a good reason to remember it. But I've heard more sermons about tongues or transgenderism or even deacons and homosexuality. And to be honest, I think friendship is spoken of the same, if not more, than all those topics. So it's kind of strange that we don't talk about it. But we as a culture don't really talk about it. In the book, The Four Loves, the great Christian writer C.S. Lewis says that as far as our types of relationships go, we view friendship as very far from the main course in life's banquet. It's more like the bread you crumble unconsciously during a long dinner. It's one of the et cetera. Or if you're going to a New Year's party tonight, it's like the chips and salsa. You're just going to sit there eating while someone's telling you some long story and you forgot you're eating it. And you're like, oh, no, I ate like a thousand chips and I feel terrible. Right. It's, it's like that. That's kind of how we talk about friendship. But in a friendship, we stand side by side, whereas in our romantic relationships, we stand face to face. In our romantic relationships, we, we have to talk about it a lot, right? You say, I love you, I love you, you're so great. No, you're so great, right? That's, that's part of it. If you're not doing that, you're missing out on one of the great parts of romance. But in a friendship, you, you don't really talk about the friendship. You talk about everything else. He also says that in a sense, and not in a bad way, it's the least instinctive, organic, biological, gregarious, and necessary. It has the least commerce with our nerves. There's nothing throaty about it. Nothing that quickens the pulse or turns you red and pale. And yet, it's the only love we choose freely without any biological ties. And so in ancient and medieval times, that made it really special. It was like a crown of life. Because without romantic love, none of us would have been born. And without family affection, none of us would have been raised. Right? So we don't talk about it because we don't, we don't really feel it in the same way. Right? How many songs and movies and things can you think that are friendship? I'm not talking about love and friendship. Those go together quite nicely. I'm just talking about friendship. Tim Keller pointed this out, and I thought it was great. The only one he could think of was Lord of the Rings. And actually, in the book version, right, the romance between Aragorn and, I can never say her name right, his romantic partner, Arwen, thank you. Uh, I knew I was going to slip up when I got up here, right? It's, it's kind of front and center in the movies, right? They give it this special attention, but in the book, it's in the appendices. It's hidden away in the back because Tolkien wanted to the, one of the main themes not to be romance, but friendship. Ralph Waldo, Waldo Emerson said that a friend is the masterpiece of nature. I heard one author named Lorraine Smith-Pangle, who summed up Aristotle, very hard to do. He said that virtue is most perfectly and easily realized in friendship. Cicero, a great ancient Roman thinker, said, suppose some god carried you away to a place where you were granted an abundance of every material good nature could wish for, but denied the possibility of ever seeing a human being. Wouldn't you have to be hard as iron to endure that sort of life? Wouldn't you utterly alone lose every capacity for joy and pleasure? If someone were to ascend into the heavens and gaze at the nature of the universe and the beauty of the stars, that very wonder would be bitter for him, which would be the most delightful of all if he had someone to tell. 
Nature loves nothing that is solitary, but always inclines towards some sort of support. And the sweetest support is a very dear friend. You see how different it is from the way we think about it now to the way they thought about it? We give it such a small status. But back in the day, it reigned supreme in a way. And like other ancient writings, the Bible, it highlights friendship as unique and wonderful, and it doesn't place it second to romance. I think there's this idea that floats in our culture that like, a good friendship is the seed, and then the best form of friendship is a romance. I think that's a bad way to think about it. I hope that you're all friends with your spouse, and that is your best friend. That's the way it ought to be. That's friendship and romance coming together. But if we kind of if we if we place one above the other, I think we're talking down to all the single people out there. I really do. I think it's the same reason that when people read about David and Jonathan in 2 Samuel, right? The David and Goliath and Jonathan the son of Saul, who were so close that when Jonathan died, he said in 2 Samuel, I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were such a friend to me, your love for me was more wondrous than the love of women. People automatically assume they must have been gay. Why? Because I think their natural inclination is to assume, well, I I guess if it's the best kind of friendship, it has to be a romance. But that's just not true. If that were true, then I think Jesus, Paul, John the Baptist, likely Daniel, and most of the 12 disciples, you're telling me they live some kind of unsatisfying relational life because they didn't have romance? That can't be true. Friendship is good. Romance is also good. One does not belong above the other. As a matter of fact, Jesus ascribes such a high status to friendship that it it should be kind of shocking. When Glenn read that passage earlier, you realize this is like the end game. This is right before Jesus is going to be put on the cross and things are all going down. You're telling me? You're telling me, after the better part of hanging out with somebody 24-7 for three years, now we're friends. Can you imagine that? Some of you, we've been around the country together. We've all done all kinds of things. Imagine if I turn to you and I'm like, but now we're friends. Right? That'd be weird. But Jesus ascribes such a high status to friendship that he says, no, no, no. Now we're friends. And what's so unique about our friendship with God is that he is above us, and yet he's inviting us in to an intimate, personal friendship. Being a friend with God is such a a wonderful, good, and special thing that in Scripture, before this, it had only been ascribed to Abraham. You know, Father Abraham had many sons. The only time we see is always like Abraham, friend of God. But now he invites his disciples. And I think he is inviting you. That he extends that same invitation to all of us. That if you are one of his disciples and you keep his commands, you are his friend. There's a lot to think of on that point alone, but I'm going to move on. Tim Keller, I love that he pointed this out as well. When you read Genesis, everything's good in the beginning, right? God does this and it's good. He does this and it's good. He does this and it's good. But there's always that one part where it's not good. He says, 
It is not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him, right? Everything was perfect. There was no sin. And yet Adam was missing something. He was missing somebody else. It's like the only problem in our life that wasn't necessarily caused by sin, right? There's no sin here. God's making a point. Your only relationship can't just be with him. It has to be with other people. We're designed that way. That's the point he's making. The Bible also gives friendship a very, it points out the uniqueness of friendship. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a difficult time. It's easy to read that and think, okay, well, I guess my siblings cause all my problems, right? They're born to cause all my problems. I'm sure some of you feel that way anyway. But that's not what he's talking about, the author. He's, he, what he's saying is a friend, he, they're always there for you, but a brother has to be there for you when times are tough, right? For, for your brothers and sisters, if you're close, if you're lucky enough, they will be there for you when times are tough. They kind of have to be. That's their role. But a friend chooses to be. There are no blood ties, nothing holding you together. Your friends have chosen you. Now that is a special kind of love. That is the kind of love, again, when you look back to John 15, that God is extending to us. It's such a special sweetness that if I were to think about all the people who have helped me move, something I hate doing that I've done a thousand times, I, I feel like I'm drowning in friendship. And not only that, right, it says a friend loves at all times, that they're there for you always. Not just when times are good or times are bad, but all the time. Proverbs 27, 9 through 10 says, Oil and incense... They bring joy to the heart. And the sweetness of a friend is better than self-counsel. In other words, oil and incense are great, but, you know, trying to, but a friendship is better than trying to help yourself. If, if I were to replace oil and incense with something that gives me a lot of joy, it'd be ice cream. Come on. I eat a lot of ice cream. Our, our fridge is always full of it. Uh, I'm practically addicted. And when I've had a bad day, man, a bowl of ice cream, mmm. Perfect. But no, nothing beats the sweetness of a friend. I tell you, any, any sweetness or kindness a friend has shown to me is much, much better than any ice cream I've ever had. I mean, I'll never forget, in college, I was poor like every college kid, right? I was living below the poverty line, working three jobs, all that fun, sad stuff. Didn't really have a kitchen. And there came a point where I just, I don't remember what happened, but... My money was gone. I was probably an idiot, but my money was gone. And I came to a friend, and I was like, hey, this is really embarrassing. Like, I don't have any money for food. Could you pray for me? And, I, like, I, you know, I didn't want to tell people that, and it's kind of shameful. And he prayed for me, but not only that, later on, he's like, hey, I'm taking you out to eat. And we went, and we got some Subway, right? And it, it filled me up. And it, no, Subway is not the primo best meal, but I will never forget the love that he showed for me and just trying to help me. He was actually over here. He lives in uh, Texas not that long ago. And I told him that story and he had no memory of it. I was like, bro, this was a big moment for me. You took me to Subway. He's like, yeah. <laughs> but for me, right, it was such a sweet, warm, 
special moment that it, it holds a special place in my heart. And I'm, I feel like I'm lucky enough to have many more. Next, we see in the Proverbs that our friends determine our direction. This is a long proverb, but Proverbs 1, 10 through 19 says, My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us. We will share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their path. For their feet rush into evil, they are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. You know the story, right? You know that person where you're like, man... I know what happened to them. It's because of the friends they hung out with. They started one way and they ended in a bad way. And it's very easy to point to the group they were hanging out with. That's because our friends give us directional determination. Or as my dad used to say, show me your friends. I know, I'll know where you end up in life. My dad was a youth pastor and now he's a, a senior pastor. He was a youth pastor for 20 some odd years and he went to countless funerals. And every time he came back, he gave us that exact same speech. It was almost always, I mean, sometimes a freak accident, but I I can't tell you the number of times he said that kid died because he was dumb and his friends were dumb. And it it broke his heart. I could see it. It it killed him. And the message stuck in my head very firmly. I've got to be careful about who my friends are. They can bring me down into death. Now, this passage is talking about anyone trying to entice you, but I, I know the most appealing people who try to bring us down are our friends, are the people who are like, hey, the things you told me before, that sounded pretty good. They can really bring us down, but they can also bring us back up. Uh, Proverbs 27.6 says, The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. Right? Better to be stabbed in the front than stabbed in the back. How many times have your friend sat you down and told you what an idiot you are? If you do, if that's happened to you, you have great friends. That's what this verse is saying. If your friends have sat you down and said, Listen, Change course, pal. This is a stupid idea and you don't need to do it. You've got friends who really care. Because like I said before, the friends are the ones we choose. They didn't have to do this for you. They didn't have to tell you. But they did because they cared. And really, if it's a friend, they have no skin in the game, right? This isn't going to affect family dinners later and make them awkward. They do it because they care. Whereas an enemy, right, they're going to flatter you. They're going to try to make you feel good. They're going to do everything to make you feel good in order to get what they want from you. But a friend, not the case. They hurt you because they love you. Man, I know I'm an idiot because of my friends. 
It's true. I can't tell you the number of times friends have sat me down and said, man, the thing you said, the thing you did was so dumb. And of course, right away, I'm like, I'm not that dumb. And then later, thankfully, I realized, yeah, I am. I'm dumber. <laughs> right? The, the people I've hurt, the things I've done. And I, I hope you have the same so in review, right, we give friendship a small status. Our culture, we tend to push it down and call it secondary to romance, that it's other, we don't really talk about it. But the Bible gives friendship a supreme status. It thinks of it very highly, so much so that we are friends with a good God. Right, he has invited us in. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be your friend. He knows everything about you and he wants to be your friend. That's nice. Next, we see that friendship in its nature has an unparalleled uniqueness. It's not like our other relationships. Our friends choose us and we choose our friends. Our friends have no skin in the game when it comes to us. They just like us. That's pretty nice, isn't it? They just, they just like us. And last, our friends give us a directional determination, a fancy way of saying where your friends end up is where you're going to end up, right? They, they determine the direction in your life. Friendship is something we, we need to keep talking about. We need to keep thinking about. It's, it's far more important than the value we as a culture have given it. But as always... Scripture points us right back into seeing it how we ought to see it and to thinking about it how we ought to think about it. So let me encourage you, uh, read through the Proverbs. Go one at a time and think about the ones about friendship and how incredible they are and how influential they are and how it's not like your other relationships and how God has invited you to be his friend. Let me pray.